Today's word comes from Galatians chapter 6, verses 1 through 5. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. This is where that. Hi, New Hope. It is uh, very good to see you all today. It's very good for, it feels good to be back here. I was away last week and it feels especially good to be back with you um, to study God's word together. We sang earlier that we need uh, God, we need you, and we certainly do. That's absolutely true. So let's pray to our God and ask him to give us all the grace that we need to study his word together. Lord, we do in fact need you. Um, Every day we need you. Um, Help us to see just how deeply we need you. Lord, help us to live with a constant awareness of our inadequacy and our weakness in your, uh, in, in, in your sight. And yet, Lord, also we pray that you'd help us to be confident that you will provide us with yourself. You will provide us with your grace. You will provide us with the wisdom we need to study your word, with the faith we need to believe it. Um, so please do that, Lord. I pray that everything that I share today would be uh, under the, the scope of your authority and what you have said in your word. I pray that you keep me from speaking my own mind and help me, Lord, uh, to, to, to speak only what you would have me to say from your uh, inerrant and, and perfect uh, revealed scriptures. Oh, Lord, we, we desire to hear from you. So please, please meet with us and speak to us and transform us, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been, uh, we've been in the book of Galatians, and recently what we've been asking is what does it look like to walk by the Spirit? You may not know that that's the question we've been asking, but it is, because in Galatians chapter 5, verse 16, if you want to grab a Bible and open it up to there, Galatians 5, verse 16, the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter tells us, he tells Christians, walk by the Spirit. And so the natural question that, that proceeds from that is, is, what does that mean? What does it look like? To walk by the Spirit. In other words, what does it look like to be led by the Spirit of God? Um, later on, he uses the, 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 this language, keep in step with the Spirit. It means the same thing, led by the Spirit, keeping in step with the Spirit, living by the Spirit. What does it look like to do that? Not just as an individual, but as an entire community. At the community level, what does it look like for us together to be led by the Spirit of God? In Galatians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul starts to describe what that looks like. He tells us, for instance, in Galatians 5, 16, that being led by the Spirit looks like this. It looks like you not gratifying the desires of the flesh. When you are led by the Spirit, you are no longer simply doing everything that makes you feel good. You're no longer just fulfilling your own desires, selfish desires. In Galatians 5.26, the Apostle Paul gives us another facet of what it looks like to be led by the Spirit. He says that when you're led by the Spirit, you will not provoke one another. You won't envy one another. That's the opposite of being led by the Spirit is provoking and envying. So it's not that. Walking by the Spirit needs to look like the opposite of that. 
And that's what the Apostle Paul starts to show us here in Galatians 6. All right, so we're going to look at the first five verses of Galatians 6. We're going to see three features of a spirit-led community. Three features, three parts of what it looks like for us as a community to walk in the spirit. One is when we are walking by the spirit, we restore others carefully. We restore others carefully. Number two is we carry burdens humbly. We carry burdens humbly. And then lastly, we examine ourselves honestly. We examine ourselves honestly. I want to give you another way to look at this, of what we're going to be talking about today, from another angle that the Apostle Paul actually gives us in the book of Galatians. He has told us, and he's repeated throughout this book of Galatians, that faith in Jesus Christ makes us free. In other words, when you believe, if you have repented of your sin and believed in Jesus Christ, then you have been set free. Free from the enslaving power of sin and free from the condemning power of God's law. But remember what Paul says in chapter 5, verse 13. I think it'll be up here for us to look at. He says, you are called to freedom, brothers, only Do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love, serve one another. Serve one another. So in other words, the freedom that we have when we believe in Jesus is meant to lead us to serve one another. It doesn't just mean do nice things for one another and treat each other kindly. It means more than that. In fact, I would say that as we walk out what this means, serving one another, it's the same thing as being led by the Spirit. It's the same thing. That is, when we're being led by the Spirit, we're going to serve one another. And if we are, in fact, serving one another within this community, it's because we're being led by the Spirit. They're one and the same. So again, here's what we're going to look at today. When we are serving one another, or when we're being led by the Spirit, we are, number one, restoring others carefully We are carrying burdens humbly, and we are examining ourselves honestly. You'll see what these points mean as we walk through them. Let's look at the first one, restoring others carefully. And here what I want you to do is is, uh, take a look at Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says there, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself lest you too be tempted. Well, what's he saying here? The Apostle Paul, first of all, he said, he's, he's addressing brothers, right? And brothers here, we can take it not just to mean men, it means men and women. It applies to brothers and sisters within the church. And that last phrase is very important, within the church. The Apostle Paul is addressing Christians, followers of Jesus, especially those who have committed to one another within the community of a local congregation, like this one. And he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, that word caught, we got to pause over that word too, because when you hear caught, you might have the wrong idea in mind. When the Apostle Paul says, if anyone's caught in transgression, he's not saying, if anyone gets busted, if anyone gets caught red-handed, if anyone gets discovered in sin, that's not what he's saying. This word for caught, some translation of the English Bible translated this way, overtaken. 
if anyone is overtaken by sin. Another translation puts it this way, if anyone is overcome by sin. This word for caught, it, it, it has to do with, with the idea of being grabbed, being seized, being trapped. So what the Apostle Paul really is saying here, if anyone among you is entrapped, entangled by sin, gets, gets overtaken by it, then it's the job of the rest of the community to restore that one. All right? Caught means overcome. Now, here's the thing, though. The Apostle Paul isn't saying that the person who's overtaken by sin is somehow innocent. He's not saying that at all. Like he was just kind of caught unawares. No, it's not that. It simply means that sin sometimes ensnares you, doesn't it? Sin sometimes traps you, doesn't it? You, you start messing with it, and you think that you're the one in control, but then you stop and you realize that it has taken a hold of you, and now you can't get out from under its weight, and, and you can't free yourself from its grip anymore. Have you ever experienced that? We had, a, we had a mouse in our house some months ago, and uh, this little field mouse was, was running around our house. We bought some traps. We put them out, and uh, one of these traps, they were made in such a way that you were supposed to put, like, peanut butter on the inside and then click it open, and then you set it in different places where you think the mouse might go, and if the mouse goes for the peanut butter, it's curtains for him. One day I wake up, and I'm looking at these traps to see if we had caught my mortal enemy, this little mouse. And what I find is that there's a trap that has no more peanut butter left in it anymore. So, so the mouse was, was really crafty, right? And he was really nimble, and he was able to get that peanut butter and leave. But I thought, you know what? This bodes well for me and for our family, because if he's messing around with these traps, it's just a matter of time before he's going to get caught. And wouldn't you know it, two days later, the little mouse was caught. Unfortunately, my daughter's the one who discovered her little gray friend stuck inside. He was my own mortal enemy to my daughter. He was more of a friend. She loves animals. And she found him gripped within the claws of this trap. He had messed with it. He had messed with it more. Maybe he had grown more confident. And eventually, he got caught. Have you ever experienced this with sin? You're messing with it, thinking that you're the one in control, and then you find that you're no longer in control. But by that point, it's too late. You're ensnared. You're addicted, perhaps. You're entangled. You're trapped. When I was in the fourth grade, I got into a fight with Nick Raymond, who's my neighbor. I was in fourth grade. Nick Raymond was a sixth grader. And we were in the park behind my house, and he had said some things that really bothered me. And uh, he put his hand on my bike, which I took as a form of threat. I thought he was moving towards me. And I got angry, and I took a swing at him. And um, and I jumped at him. And I was very confident, and I really thought I was in control. But within about five seconds, I was in a headlock. And and Nick Raymond was pounding punches on the top of my head. And I was stuck. And I realized, I shouldn't have messed with this guy. (laughs) Luckily, my brother saw me from the window of our home that was right there. and, and, And he ran out. And he rescued me. You might say, he restored me. (laughs) Have you ever messed with sin in such a way that you got trapped? Have you ever tampered and trifled with it? Have you ever perhaps lingered over it? Hovered around it? What was it? Maybe it's porn. Maybe it's some financial indiscretions. 
Maybe it's, it's a relationship that you know you shouldn't have been messing with. If you're married, it was a relationship outside of your marriage that you started to just trifle with. Maybe it was something else. Maybe it was the abuse of Maybe you started drinking more than you used to, and then you found very soon that you were entrapped and snared. It could be any number of things. Have you ever experienced that? One day you realize you're in a headlock, and you can't get out. Sinful habits and practices can be like that. If we want to know what kinds of sinful transgressions the Apostle Paul is talking about here when he's talking about getting ensnared or caught in transgressions, you can look at right up at chapter 5 of Galatians. I see the list that he gives there. These works of the flesh, these sins. There's lots of them. He's being very general, but it would at least include these things. Sexual immorality in verse 19 of Galatians 5, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy. You ever think that jealousy could be a trap? That jealousy can actually ensnare you? Have you ever felt like you were in the grips of jealousy? Fits of anger? Have you ever felt entrapped by anger? Like you were just letting out some emotion, you were just venting, and next thing you know, you're out of control. The anger has you. Rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like this, the Apostle Paul says. Any of them can trap us. Any of them can catch us. The Apostle Paul is saying that if anyone is ensnared in one of these or any other sins, it's the responsibility of the others within the community to come and restore He says, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit of gentleness. That's verse 1. And that that word for restore, that's an interesting word too. Sometimes it was used in the medical field. To restore was to, it would be used, for instance, to, to reset a bone that had been broken. Or, or, to, or, to, or to fix a, a joint that had been dislocated, put it back into place. Have you ever had that done? Have you ever had a joint have to get kind of stuck back? Or a broken bone have to get reset? I had to do that with my hand. I had to reset a bone in my hand. It hurt terribly. That was another fight, incidentally. I punched someone in the face. I broke my hand. I didn't get into that many fights, but when I did, they never ended well for me. And thank God he's... He's made some changes in my heart. I haven't had a fight in probably 30 years. No, maybe, maybe 25 or so. I don't know. It hurts, though. Matthew, he uses the same word for restore, not to talk, about medi- uh, to talk about medicine or the human body. He uses it to talk about fishermen mending their nets. In the book of Matthew... We read about James and John, they're fishermen, and Jesus, when he sees them, they are restoring their nets. They, they had nets, their fishing nets had gotten ripped, and they're mending them, fixing them. So restore, it means to, to bring back to wholeness. Restore means to bring back to health. A new hope, this is what a gospel culture is meant to look like. This is what a community that believes the gospel is meant to look like. When the one is entangled in sin, he isn't ostracized. 
But neither is his sin ignored and played down. No, instead, he's restored. He's engaged and brought back to wholeness. In Galatians 2, we get an example of this. Tim preached on, uh, on this passage months ago. We read there about how the apostle Peter himself got ensnared in sin. We could argue about what the sin was. It may have been fear of people, fear of man. It may have been ethnic pride and, and racism, in fact, that he was guilty of. But whatever it was, the Apostle Paul sees him in that sin, and what does he do? He doesn't ignore it. He also doesn't condemn him. Instead, he engages him, confronts him to his face, he says, and restores him. We find out later that Peter was, in fact, restored. Restored to relationship with the community, restored to relationship with the Apostle Paul, restored to spiritual health. That's what a gospel community looks like. Sometimes there is confrontation, but it's confrontation for the purpose of restoration. This is actually what Jesus describes himself in Matthew 18. You may be familiar with this passage. Let's look at it. Matthew 18, verse 15. Jesus says, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. Right? Engage him, approach him, confront him in love. But he says, listen, verse 15, he says, between you and him alone. If he listens to you, you've gained your brother. You've restored him. He's been restored to relationship. That's beautiful. But what if he does not listen? Look at verse 16. If he does not listen, give up? No, don't give up. Take one or two others along with you that every charge may be established by the evidence of two or three witnesses. What if he refuses to listen to you and the two or three witnesses that you've brought along on this mission to restore? Then you give up? No. Jesus doesn't say give up. Verse 17, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Then it goes to the whole community. You see, things escalate slowly, step by step. First it's one-on-one, then it's two or three speaking to the one, then it's the whole community. And verse 17 finishes this way, and if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile and a tax collector. In other words, no longer treat him like a brother or a sister. If he refused to listen to you when you engaged and sought to restore, and they refused to listen to the two or three who came with you, and then he refuses to listen to the church as a whole, then at that point, treat him like a tax collector. Treat him like he's no longer a member of the community. Put him out of the community. But even that is not giving up on him. Because we find later when we read the book of 1 Corinthians that even that process of putting someone outside of the community because they're no longer living in such a way that they can any longer be uh, considered a member of the community, even that is for the purpose of restoration. Even when someone is put out of the church, I don't mean put out of this building, I mean put out of the covenant community, the purpose is so that they will be awakened to the severity of their problem so they will see just how entrapped they are so that they will repent, so they will renew their faith in Christ and be restored to the community. That's the goal. You see, God is so tenacious in his love towards us. 
He pursues and pursues and pursues. He wants us to do the same thing as his community. We see it from the very beginning. When Adam and Eve sinned in the garden, what did God do? Did he passively ignore? Did he give them the cold shoulder or did he go? No, he went to them and he said, Adam, where are you? What's this thing you've done? What is this thing that you have done? And what does he meet with when Adam speaks to him? Adam tells lies. Adam makes excuses. Adam blame shifts. What does God do at that point? Does he disengage? No, he continues to push forward. He says, there are going to be repercussions for what you've done, but I'm not going to let, let go of you. I'm going to even put you out of this garden, but I still have a plan, a plan to bring restoration and reconciliation. When Adam and Eve's son, Cain, sinned horribly against God, killed his own brother, Abel, what does God do? God goes to Cain and says, Cain, where's your brother? He starts asking questions, probing questions, questions that are meant to make this man come to see what he's done. And he just keeps pushing forward. He says, Cain, why? What have you done? Jesus is saying to us, through the Apostle Paul in Galatians 6, I want my community to look like me in this regard. Restore the one who's entangled. Restore the one who's fallen into sin. Engage the one who's caught and seek to bring him or her back to wholeness. You know, it's funny, in Matthew 18, it's no coincidence, I don't think, that when Jesus is speaking these words in verses 15 through 17, these words about confronting in sin, I don't think it's coincidence. If you look right before that at the previous verses, you might want to open it. I'm not going to show it up here, but you might want to open it Matthew 18. Right before he goes into all that, he's telling a parable. A parable about a shepherd who's got a lot of sheep, but one of his sheep goes astray. And the shepherd goes after that sheep. And he doesn't stop until he finds him. He leaves the hundred and goes after the one that needs to be restored, and he rescues him. And again, Jesus is saying, I want my community to look like me in this regard. Tenaciously, patiently pursuing the one who is now entangled and has fallen into sin. It's a serious call to us. Even if it means that, that, that this relationship between you and this one who's fallen needs to take priority over every other relationship. That's kind of what happens in the parable that Matthew tells. I mean, the, yeah, the parable that Jesus tells in Matthew 18. The, that one sheep all of a sudden becomes more important than the other 99. The shepherd goes after him. Is it just pray for the sheep to come back? Goes after the sheep and gets them. Going back to Galatians 6, though, let's go back to Galatians 6. Um, you, you see the urgency here. You see the urgency, and yet the Apostle Paul says, when you're doing this restoring work, you need to do it carefully, very carefully. Look what he says in, uh, at the end of chapter 6, verse 1. He says, do it with a spirit of gentleness, first of all, and then he says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. You see, we need to be careful as we engage in this kind of restoring work because we can end up becoming like policemen and policewomen. And God doesn't want his community to look like a police state, does he? On the contrary, in 1 Peter chapter 4, 
God tells us that above all, we should keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. That means that when a brother sins or a sister sins in some way, we don't immediately pounce on them. No, we we cover that sin with love. We're willing to allow some space for people to work things out because we know that we know that we are all sinners. But there's a very big difference between someone sinning in some particular way, an isolated event, there's a big difference between that and a pattern of ongoing sin in someone's life. So when we take 1 Peter and Galatians together, I think what it's telling us is that we should be patient with one another. If we see sin in someone's life, be patient. But once you realize that it's a pattern and it's dangerous, not only to them, but to the community and it's dishonoring to God, then you approach, not pouncing, but engaging gently, he says. Perhaps it looks like saying, listen, um, something that I've seen in your life that I want to talk to you about, I want to ask you about. I'm not, I'm not jumping to conclusions. Maybe I don't have all the information, but I want to ask you about this. These habits that I've seen, the way that you talk to others, or um, whatever it could be, the amount I've, I've noticed you've been drinking lately. The, the way that I see you uh, talking to your kids or the way that I see you engaging with your spouse, there, there, there seem to be some problems there. I want to engage you over this and talk to you and find out if what's going on. The, the, maybe it's, it's this relationship I see you in. It, it doesn't seem like a healthy relationship. I think it's, it's wrong. It, it's bringing you down. It's hurtful to you and to others. You need to consider disengaging from this relationship. Of course, that requires humility. It also requires a great deal of courage, doesn't it? Those are never easy conversations to have, especially when there's no questions to be asked. Maybe it's reached a point where there's no question it's sin, and you just need to confront it head on. Not easy. That's why we need to do it carefully. Carefully. And it's not one size fits all. Of course, First Thessalonians makes this clear in chapter 5, verse 14. This is very helpful to us, brothers and sisters. Look at what Paul says there. He says, we urge you, brothers, admonish the idle, encourage the faint-hearted, help the weak. Be patient with them all. So when you're confronting sin in the church, it doesn't always look the same way. It's not one size fits all. He says, be patient in every situation. But maybe there's some admonishing necessary that's more confrontational. Maybe it's just encouragement that's necessary. Maybe it's some other kind of help for this weak person. In order for us to understand how to approach a particular person, we need to know that person, don't we? We also need to operate with care, with patience, with gentleness. So 1 Thessalonians 5 mentions patience. Galatians 6 mentions uh, gentleness. Anyone know what those two have in common? They both grow from the same tree. They're both fruit of the Spirit. Which means that in order for us to do what Paul's calling us to do here, we must be led by the Spirit. We must be filled by the Spirit. If we're going to operate with love, with kindness, with faithfulness, with patience, with gentleness. And that's why the Apostle Paul says, here's who's supposed to be doing this restoring work. He says, if any one of you falls into any kind of sin, let the one who is spiritual... Restore them. The one who's spiritual. What does that mean, you think? Does that mean 
that this restoring work should be left to those who are especially spiritual, the, the, the markedly holy people in the church, like the, the, the spiritual all-stars of the church. I don't even know who that is. I think we're all um, farmly, we're all de- developmental league. We're not, a, none of us are all-stars spiritually. That's not what he's talking about anyway. And it's certainly not just a pastor. Galatians 3 tells us that if you have repented and believed in Jesus Christ, then you have received the Spirit of God. And listen, if you have received the Spirit of God, then you are spiritual. If you have the Spirit in you, you are spiritual. So if you have repented and believed in Jesus, this call to do this restoring work within the community, this is your job. As much as it's my job. It's our job. Because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, thereby making you spiritual. So if you're a child of God, this is for you, this is for me. It's for us. Move toward the one who has fallen with gentleness, with persistence, with patience. Maybe you've been on the receiving end of this. I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I wonder if anyone here has ever been on the receiving end of this kind of restoring work. You were entangled in sin, and someone or some people came, and they sought to restore you. Have you ever experienced that? If you did, I'm sure it wasn't easy. But I hope that you can look back on it now and see the hand of God at work in it. I hope you can look back on it now and see how the Spirit worked through it to bring you back to wholeness, to repentance and faith. I have been on both sides of this. And it was not easy in any, any, any of those instances. And yet I can look back with gratitude for the times when I was restored and for the times I was used to seek to restore, even though sometimes it didn't even work. Maybe you've been failed in this regard. You've been entangled and others have not come to your rescue to restore you. I I confess to you as as, as a pastor and just as your brother that even during the short time that I've been here, I have no doubt failed many of you. Either I've done it out of ignorance or out of self-centeredness. I've either not been persistent enough in in moving towards you to to bring restoration, or I've just been kind of hands-off and not even aware enough. Or maybe I just haven't been gentle enough. Maybe I've been too persistent and not gentle enough, not loving enough. If that's the case, and I am sorry, I pray that you would forgive me, because another feature of this, of a spirit-led community, is that we realize our failings in this area, and we forgive one another for them. But we also recommit to be restorers. It's interesting what the Apostle Paul says at the end of verse 1. He says, keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Think about that. If you're trying to restore someone that's fallen into sin, how might you be tempted when you try to do that? I remember reading this as a very young Christian, being confused by it, like thinking like, hmm, how does this work? Like if I have a friend who's addicted to pornography and I go to try to restore them, is it that I'm going to be tempted to also give into pornography? Is that it? Maybe. I don't think that's really what the Apostle Paul, that may happen in some instances, but I think what's much more likely is this. 
When you seek to restore someone who's fallen into sin, you are tempted to many sins. You may be tempted to impatience. You may be tempted to anger at this person. You may very well be tempted to self-righteousness. Look at you trapped in this sin. I would never do something like that. Trapped in adultery? Seriously? Nah, I would never do such a thing. I'm above that. You see how easy it is to take this position of self-righteousness when you're in the restorer role. And so he says, keep watch. Keep watch, lest you too fall into temptation. You see, those sins of self-righteousness and impatience and anger and criticism, they're just as entrapping as the adultery or the other form of sexual sin. We can fall into this sin of legalism towards those who have fallen into sin. Instead of offering them grace, instead of offering them forgiveness in the name of Jesus, if they would repent and believe, instead we heap rules upon them. Or we shame them. Or we condemn them. How easy it is to fall into that. That's why later on, verse 3, the Apostle Paul says, if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Look, if you're in a position of trying to restore someone from their sin and you all of a sudden have started to think that you're above them, that you're superior, you're holier, you're more righteous, then you're deceiving yourself. You may very well just as easily end up entangled. And when we approach people that way, we never engage them well. Paul says it's delusional. That's why we need to restore carefully. Carefully. Now, here's the thing before we need to move on, but just before we do that, I'm just going to mention this. For some of us, that that means we need to be aware of of, um, our particular tendencies. So for some of us, maybe confrontation is something you really dislike. And so operating carefully and operating prayerfully and, and being led by the Spirit means overcoming that fear of confrontation in order to engage the one who has fallen in sin. Many of us are right there. We're like, I don't like this. So I'm tempted to just disengage. I'm tempted to be passive and allow you to continue in your sin because this is too hard for me to confront. That's something many of us have to deal with. That's a real temptation for some of us. For others, the temptation is maybe on the other end of the spectrum. Maybe for you, you're like, let me at them. I can't wait to confront this person. Like, you feel that you have the spiritual gift of putting people in their place, which is not a spiritual gift, by the way. You, you can't wait to show people that they've fallen. And sure, you're going to give them the gospel, but first you're going to make them feel really bad. And for you, the temptation is to be overbearing. It's to be too quick to confront. You don't want to extend love. You don't want to cover the sin with a blanket of love. And so for you, that's a temptation you need to be wary about. We can err on both ends and the other places in between. That takes us to our second point. In a spirit-led community, we don't just restore others carefully. We carry burdens humbly. We carry burdens humbly. We need to move ahead quicker here. Um, Galatians 6.2 says, Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. You see that? Bear burdens. What burdens are we talking about here? Carry their burdens. What burdens? What kind of burdens are you people experiencing right now? You don't need to shout them out, but maybe there's some burdens that you have dragged in with you this morning, this afternoon. Burdens that are keeping you awake at night. What are they? 
For some of it, maybe it's sorrow for you, deep sadness. Maybe it's worry and anxiety that's just weighing down on you. Maybe it's your past failures. How about financial pressure? Any of you feeling the burden of financial pressures? Any of you feeling the burden of loneliness? The burden of illness? Pain and illness in your body? Maybe it's the burden of dilemmas. You don't know what decision to make. You're trying to make a wise decision, but it's weighing down on you. You don't know what to do. Maybe, maybe it's the burden of disability. Physical, mental disability. Maybe that's what it is. Or maybe for you, it's the, it's the burden of depression. And no one else sees, but it's there. And you're so weighed down by it that you're losing hope. What do you do with those burdens that you're carrying? What do you do with them? Psalm 55, 22 tells you what you can do with them. Cast your burden on the Lord, and he will sustain you. Cast your burden on the Lord. He will sustain you. It doesn't mean that now once you've cast your burden on him, everything's going to feel great. No, but it does feel, mean that you're going to be sustained. You are going to be held up. But here's the thing. Often the way that God lightens the load for us, the way that he sustains us, is by getting other Christians to do some of the carrying. Sometimes we get discouraged, so discouraged, because we're trying to carry too much all by ourselves. Or, or we're trying to trust in God, and we're trying to lay our burdens on God, but we're trying to do it all alone. I believe that what Galatians 6 is calling us to do here is to do that within the context of a community. So take the Psalms, what he says there, and take Galatians together. And what do you hear? Here's what you hear. The Lord sustains you, but here's how he often does it. One way that he does that is through sisters and brothers who are willing to carry the load with you. It's not just you and God. It's you, God, and a group of people that he's called to bear your burdens with you. And some people are going to do it through prayer. They're going to pray for you. Some people are going to um, uh, share encouraging words with you, kind of like what, that list that we looked at last week when, when Pastor Ed was here preaching on encouragement. They're going to encourage you with the gospel. Or maybe they're just simply going to listen to you. Others, others maybe are going to bear your burden in practical ways. Have you experienced this? Where people, they haven't had super wise counsel to give you. They haven't had answers to your problems. All they did was they cooked for you, brought you some food, maybe took your kids off your hands for a while if you got kids. They, in practical ways, they relieved some of the weight. That's a beautiful gift. But God is saying that we actually should expect that from one another within the church, and we're called to do it whether it's dropping off food or it's a gift or it's a book or an awkward conversation. Some of you are so gifted in this area. It's like you're able to see practical needs that no one else, or at least I can't see, and you just meet them and you know exactly how to do it. That is an amazing gift. I think it's a supernatural gift. I really do. And yet, I think that the rest of us still have hope here. Because if the Spirit is in you, then even if you don't have this particular gift of helping practically, the Spirit can help us to grow in this. 
Help us to identify needs or at least ask about them and try to meet them and bear that burden. The thing is, the burdens that uh, the Apostle Paul's here talking about, that he's talking about here, I don't think they're just the kinds of things I've already listed. I think it goes beyond that. I think that one of the burdens he's talking about here is the burden of sin itself. Remember, he's talking about getting entangled in sin, and then he's saying bear each other's burdens. I think part of what he's saying is that when you are entangled in sin, you are burdened. And so Jesus is calling us as a congregation to come alongside the one who's burdened by sin, walk with them, and help them to cast that burden onto Jesus. Hebrews 12.1 says that in order to run the race before us, what do we need to do? Anyone know what, Romans, uh, what Hebrews 12.1 says? It says, cast aside, throw off the sin that so easily entangles you. The sins that cling so close to you. In order to run the race of falling Christ, you need to throw those off. The fact is we can't do it on our own sometimes. So we need a community. We need other spiritual people, spirit-filled brothers and sisters to come alongside of us and say, I'm going to help you disentangle yourself so that you can run this race. Marcelo, my son, ran in a Spartan race yesterday, a Spartan kids race. If you don't know what Spartan race is, it's like, a, it's like an obstacle course. It's a arduous, it's long, and, and he made it through like a champ. But one of the things that they say at the beginning of this, the, the person who was running the, the race um, was saying to all the competitors, um, if you've come here with a team, because some kids showed up with teams, if you've come here with a team, don't leave any team members behind. Someone's dragging, someone falls, you go back. You encourage them, you pick them up, you bring them with you. You need to cross that finish line together. This is what they told them. I believe this is what the Apostle Paul is telling us. We are running a race. The call to run a race is not just a call upon you, Randy, or you, Sharon, or or you, Sunny. It's a call to the community. And so we're meant to do it together. So that if one has fallen behind, we go back. And we do it carefully so that we ourselves are not entangled by sin. But we do it urgently, because that person, that member of the community, matters deeply to God. Paul says that as you do that, you will actually be fulfilling the law of Christ. You will so fulfill the law of Christ. That's what it says in verse 2. Don't miss that. What does that mean? That by restoring others into community, by by bearing others' burdens, you're actually fulfilling Christ's law. I believe that this is the command that he's talking about. In John 15, 12, Jesus says, this is my commandment, this is my law, that you love one another as I have loved you. And that's what you're doing every time you restore, every time you carry someone's burdens. What keeps us from doing this sometimes is that maybe it's that we're too busy. Is that possible? I think that busyness is, a, is, is one factor, but I think it's not as important of a factor as some, some of us make it out to be. I think sometimes we don't help because we don't notice. I think sometimes we don't help others because we're too centered on ourselves. I'm too centered on my burdens to think about yours. too enamored with our own comfort. See, Galatians 6 frames all of this in terms of Christ's command to love one another. He's saying, do this, restore, bear burdens, and as you do this, you will be loving one another. 
The opposite is also true. If you are not doing this for one another, then you are not loving one another. That pierces my heart as I read these words and I think about all the times that I've failed to bear someone else's burden, all the times that I've failed to restore someone who's fallen. Christ is coming and saying, that's not just busyness. That's not just distractedness. That is a lack of love. To refuse, this, to, refuse to obey what God is telling us to do here isn't just disobedience. It is an, it's an absence of love, a refusal to love. Lastly, as a community led by the Spirit, freed by the gospel, we examine ourselves honestly. Look at what it says in verse 3. It says, for if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Now, let me admit something to you. In these five verses, verses one and two are like really straightforward. They're super clear. I think so, at least. Verses three through five get murky. They, they get confusing. Remember, I mean, I mean, for one thing, Paul has just said we're supposed to bear each other's burdens. Here in verse five, he's saying each one has to bear his own load. Hmm, interesting, No. First, he's saying, care about others, bear each other's burdens. But then here in verse 4, he says, test your own work. Hmm. It seems like he's going back and forth between, like, focus on others, but then it seems like he's telling you to focus on yourself, too. What's he talking about? I think that once we crack this open, it becomes clear. I'm going to try to explain it in just a minute, and then, and then we'll end. Remember when Jesus Christ tells us about how we should or how we shouldn't uh, confront those who are in sin. He tells us, he says, he he describes it this way, Jesus does. He says, when you go after someone who you believe is in sin and you do it from a position of self-righteousness, you do it from a place of superiority, moral superiority, it's like you're talking to someone with a speck in their eye while you have a log jammed into your eye socket. It's amazing imagery, isn't it? Beautiful imagery. Like, I'm talking to you about this sin that I see in your life. Meanwhile, I've got a much worse problem in my life. I believe that what the Apostle Paul is doing here is he's warning us against that. He's saying, examine yourself carefully before and even as you're engaging in this process of restoring others and seeking to bear each other's burdens. Be honest with yourself about where you are at spiritually. In the words of Romans, don't think more highly of of yourself than you should. Be realistic. Paul in Romans says, don't think more highly of yourself than you should. The poet Kendrick Lamar says, be humble. Sit down, be humble. So I believe that before we engage in any of this, we are meant to be sitting down for a while thinking through this, evaluating our hearts. Where are we at? Where are we coming from? And then after we engage, after we seek to restore, after we seek to bear each other's burdens, once again, we need to evaluate, where am I at? It's so easy to compare ourselves to others and feel great about ourselves. Or we can compare ourselves to others and feel awful about ourselves. 
The Apostle Paul says, evaluate yourself honestly. Let, let each one test his own work. Don't compare, just honestly examine. So that means we need to look at ourselves and see our own failures, see our own sins. We need to be honest about our own transgressions if we're going to be restorers of other people. We need to be honest about the fact that we have failed to restore others when we should have restored them. We need to be honest about our self-centeredness. In verse 5, he says, for each one will bear his own load. In order to understand what this means, you have to realize that the word burden he uses in verse 2 and the word load in verse 5 are two different words. Very important. The word burden, where he says, bear each other's burdens, that word for burden actually is used sometimes to speak of cargo. It's something big. It's something heavy that no single person can carry. It's too much for you, too much for any of you. The word load here is a different Greek word. It was actually sometimes used to refer to a travel bag, a backpack. It's your own portion. It's a thing that you have to carry on your own. And Paul is distinguishing between the two. It's very interesting, actually. He's saying there there, there are burdens too heavy for anyone to care. Get in there and help. But as you do it, make sure that you're carrying your own load. Take a look at your life. Make sure that you are walking in a way that's honoring to God. You're you're fulfilling your responsibilities and you're not being a hypocrite. Make sure that you're not approaching someone in their sin while you yourself are hiding sin in your own heart. You see what I mean? That's what it means to carry one's own load. You're responsible for yourself and you're accountable before God. Once again, the Apostle Paul is pushing us towards humility Because he knows that the more humble we are, the more gentle we're going to be. And he knows that the more humble we are, the more willing we're going to be to to help someone else with their burden in a way that it's actually healthy. So as we end, I just want to leave you with some questions. I'm just going to read these questions to you. Questions for examination. right? Remember we said Paul wants you to examine yourself? I'm going to read off these questions and I'm going to pray. Here's one question for examination. Are you willing to carefully restore someone who has fallen into sin? Are you willing to move towards that one and to keep doing so persistently, patiently? If that's a particular struggle for you, then I want to encourage you, I want to encourage us to ask the Spirit to lead us into it, to help us. He's telling us to do it. We need help following him in it. So ask. Another question. Who in your life has fallen into sin and you are ignoring them? And why? Maybe there's no one. Maybe there's someone in your life who's, who's fallen, to, they're entangled, and, and somehow you're not paying attention or you're not moving towards them. Maybe you're talking about them. Maybe you've been praying about them. That's awesome. Please continue to pray for them. But why aren't you moving towards them? What's going on? Have you written them off in your mind? Have they hurt you too much? Are they beyond hope? Are they no longer deserving of your investment? Or is it something else? What will it look like for you to begin to move towards them in a spirit of gentleness with the goal of restoring them? Here's another question. Are you willing to carry someone's burden humbly over the long haul? I think for some of us, I can relate to this. Maybe you can too. Some of us, I'm willing sometimes to carry someone's burden for a little while, but then I want to drop it and walk away. I've done my part. 
I've, I've helped you to start this journey, but now, you know what? This is getting a little heavy. I got up my own stuff to deal with. Are you willing to carry someone's burden over the long haul with them? Or are you just going to drop some convicting bombs, some words of advice, and then disappear? Here's another question. Are you currently ensnared in sin? Are you caught in sin? Overtaken by it? Or or are you just getting there? Like you can see it happening very soon. You're flirting with it. You're trifling with it. And very soon you may be like that mouse that my daughter found behind my couch. Or like me on that summer afternoon, headlocked and getting pounded. Are you there? Are you asking for help? If you're getting help, how are you responding to the help that you're getting? Because the help that you're going to get isn't always going to look like what you want it to look like, right? Sometimes the help is going to be inadequate, disappointing. But are you welcoming it? Are you responding to it? Last question. How do you deal with the gentle exposure that comes when someone approaches you and seeks to talk to you about your shortcomings, sins? How do you respond to that? Is it, is it defensiveness and an immediate distancing? Is it a shifting of the conversation? How do you respond to that gentle exposure that's coming from someone who loves you? Especially when it's something, it's something really, really difficult, like it's about your character, it's about your words, it's about your actions, it's about the way you live. All of this is super hard, I know that. This has been a hard word for me to study and for me to deliver to you. And yet the fact is that we're welcomed into this kind of community. And it's a blessed gift, a blessed invitation. Because the God who's calling us to be restorers of others is the God who restored us. Oh, Lord, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among those who go down to the pit. God has restored you. That's why he's calling you to restore others. Listen, when God calls you to bear others' burdens, it's only because he's borne our burdens. He bore our sins on his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. Listen, by his wounds you have been healed. Jesus has borne, he has carried all of your burdens to the cross. And even when we fail to live the way that he's calling us to live here, those sins are forgiven. The burden is taken. If you haven't experienced that love the love of God in Christ, who has borne your burdens, who has restored your soul. If you have not experienced that, then you can experience it. You can experience it now. What you need to do is admit that you're entangled. Admit that you're dying under the weight of your own sin and that you're drowning in it. Admit that the burden of your sin, the burden of life is too much for you to carry. And he will come and he will restore you. And he will bear your sins. He will carry your burden. And as we do that from one another, we're simply being the kind of community that makes much of Jesus, that's led by the Spirit.
Spirit, lead us toward one another to bring healing and wholeness, to bring repentance, but also to carry those heavy weights, those cares, whatever they might be. Lord, apart from you, a group of people like us, we can never look like this. We're just going to be selfish. We're just going to be devouring each other. We're just going to be contentious and envious of each other. But because of your spirit, Lord, we don't have to be. Transform us into a spirit-led community that reflects the loving goodness, restoring power, and burden-carrying power of Jesus Christ in the gospel. We ask all of that in Jesus' name. Amen.